Hello and welcome to Helpline on Feed, Play, Love with Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue. Chris has had over 30 years experience helping families across the country, sometimes even the world, and uh, she can answer any of the questions you might have about your babies, might be their sleep patterns, might be feeding patterns, could be uh, siblings that you're concerned about and trying to juggle as that happens once you have your second, third child and so forth. So if you'd like to ask Chris a question, you can pop it below if you're watching us live via Facebook. If you are listening via the podcast, you can email us at helpline at theparentbrand.com.au and we will get to your question next week. Hello, Chris, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? The, the podcast interrupted our chat. We were chatting. It did. We were live. I mean, goodness me. <laughs> I think we were here to answer people's questions. <laughs> That's right. Not catch up. <laughs> but you're well now. The point being you have a sore hand. I do. You had surgery on your hand. So I people have. go gentle on Chris today. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's not too bad at the moment. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Well, you do look reasonably calm and collected so we might start now before the painkillers wear off (laughs) absolutely our first question comes from jane now she sent a question to our facebook inbox that's another way you can ask questions she says i'm a first-time mum, and my son is three weeks old he sleeps naps like a log during the day but has inconsistent sleeping patterns during the night at night he wakes up every hour and during the day he can sleep for three to four hours unbothered at all how can i train him um about day and night confusion is three weeks too early thank you for your advice Hi, Jane. Yes, you're in the very early days where it does seem like the baby's backwards in that they sleep more consistently. And this is a maturity thing, so you're going to have to ride this out. But probably what I would start doing is not letting him sleep for four hours in the day. Um, So if he's still asleep four hours after you started feeding him, so if he started at nine, he was still asleep at one, I'd probably start to gently start waking him. Um, And then I think you'll find that over the next three weeks, he'll start to sleep a little bit longer for you at night. And that happens gradually. You'll still have an unsettled period, but you'll start to get some more sound sleep. And usually by six, seven or eight weeks, they're starting to turn that pattern around. So this is a time and patience thing and going going with him a little bit. But I wouldn't let him sleep more than that three hours or four hours from when he woke um, in the day, and that might help across the time frame. Our next question comes from, I will say, Ilva. Yeah. And I'm sorry, hopefully I got that pronunciation right. First of all, thanks for a great podcast. It's appreciated Ooh. also on the other side of the world in Sweden. Ah. My 11-month-old has never slept through the night. Usually she falls asleep in her own bed with a dummy in our bedroom but wakes every second hour as a minimum. Most of the time she gets very upset unless I pick her up. I've tried patting, rocking her in bed, but it doesn't work. Usually it ends up with me bringing her into bed sometime during the night where she still wakes up but isn't crying. What can I do to make her sleep through the night in her own bed? Some background info, she wakes up at 7am, has two naps, first one 40 minutes around 9.30am and second one five, uh, two hours around 1.45pm. 
Oh, one and a half to two hours. I was oh. like, five hours? What? So the second one's one and a half to two hours from 1.45. Asleep again at 7 p.m. She breastfeeds before bed in the evening but is not fed to sleep and in the morning uh, eats well during the day and also gets porridge before bed. She's able to resettle herself in her own bed during the afternoon nap but it does not seem to work during the night. Okay. So thanks for your call from Sweden. That's a long distance. Um, or your question. Uh, so things seem right in the day in that she's 11 months old. They normally stay awake for three hours, then three and a half hours, then three and a half hours. So that sounds about right. She could probably stay awake a little bit longer in the morning um, and that might give us a whole hour instead of 40 minutes sleep. So it does sound like she's rested when she goes to sleep. I think the other thing that's happening is you, she's still in your room and that could be because you only have one room. Um, that could be because you still feel comfortable. But what it does for her is she knows you're just there. So their awake cycle is somewhere between one hour 10 and two hours 20. So when she wakes, she's looking for you to help her go back to sleep, whether it be rocking, padding, and eventually back into bed with you. And as you notice, it doesn't stop her from waking, but she's just calmer because she's beside you. So I think the first thing is to try and eliminate the time where she wakes up and she sees you. So maybe um, in that first part of the day or evening, I should say, in the first part of the evening, that you stay out of the room for four hours so that she has an experience of you going in and settling her and then leaving. So if she starts waking about 8, 8.30 or 9.00, that you're not in the room, that you've come in, you've settled her and you've left. At 11 months, they need some time to self-settle, whether it's a couple of minutes that somebody feels comfortable with or whether it's longer. They do need the chance to self-settle and that can be difficult when they can see you in the room, when they know and they can hear you breathing in the room. So part of it is to stay strong. If you want to keep her in the room, you have to stay very strong and not move and give her the chance to settle. And the second thing is to be consistent. So for three to four days, it's getting up, laying her down, patting, 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 then walking away, getting back into bed, leaving her for a few minutes, get up, pat, 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 and not give her a confusing message of sometimes pat, sometimes rock, sometimes in my bed. So try and move that cot well away from your bed and, and so that you have to get up to her and settle her, but you've got to give her a chance to do it. So pick something consistently, move the cot away from the bed. If you feel ready, it could even go into another room. Give her a couple of minutes to settle and then be consistent. And I would probably lay her down and pat her. And if she got really distressed, quick cuddle, calm her down, put her back down again. The next question comes from Emma. She says, my four-year-old daughter has stopped pooing. She holds on to her poo for as long as she can. Currently, we are four days since pooing. Her diet is good with lots of fruit, water, prunes, and pear juice. We have been giving coloxal drops and started Movoquol. She isn't constipated. She literally holds them in and tells me she's scared to do poos. I'm desperate for ideas to help move this along. Okay, so in this case, I'd be um, quite calm with her. Uh, I'd probably take it away from the toilet and maybe use a potty. She needs her knees higher than her hips so that her bowel goes straight so she can do a poo. 
and I would take her to the toilet three times a day and stay with her and maybe have a book that the two of you can read, not a toilet book, but a book that's intriguing, or she gets one episode of Ben and Holly, um, something that will make her sit long enough so that she relaxes to do the poo. And she might feel safer in a potty. Not that I think that's necessarily the good thing to do, but I think in this case it's a bridging point between there and the toilet. So once she's regularly doing it on the, to- on the potty, she'll then transfer to the toilet. It's very common. So don't feel like, you know, she's suddenly doing something that others aren't. It's actually a very common problem. And I think you need to retrain her and you're given a Movicol and you're given a Coloxal, so all those softening agents so that it's comfortable for her. Now you've got to do it at least three times in the day, maybe after breakfast, um, around lunchtime and before she goes to bed. And whether she does something or doesn't do something, it doesn't matter. It's training her back into doing it. So hopefully that might help you get her back being more regular on the potty or the toilet. Virginia says, a few months ago, our 19-month-old started having trouble settling to sleep at night. He would be so upset when we left his room that either my husband and I would sit with him for the next hour until he went to sleep. We wouldn't interact with him. He just got comfort from someone being there. Over the last few weeks, things have declined. Our now 21-month-old gets upset even with us in the room and even when we try shushing or patting him. The whole process is now up to an hour and a half before he is finally asleep, around 8.30 p.m. With baby number two on the way, this isn't a sustainable bedtime routine. So two weeks ago, we started leaving the room for short periods, going back in to settle him to calm, then leaving the room again to see if we could get him used to settling on his own again. After two weeks, we've seen no improvement and we're basically just feeling awful for leaving him in there crying. He gets very upset every time we leave. He settles perfectly well for his day naps, so I do believe it's a behavioural situation, but I wish we could find a way to help him settle with less angst for all of us. Any advice would be much appreciated. He wakes at 7, has a nap at 12 for one and a half to two hours, has dinner at 5.30, then bath at 6.30pm and books and in bed at 7. Okay, so the first thing is I tweak his routine a little bit um, because you might be putting him to bed a little bit early. So um, as a 21-month, I'd put him down at 12.30, get him up at 2 and put him down at 7.30. Um, Those little tweaks sometimes make the difference, even though the learned behaviour is there that we have to break. And the fact that he can go down for you um, in 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 the day means he can do this. It's just that he's now used to this visually seeing you in order to go to sleep and of course as they get older that becomes more difficult because they want to interact with you as they get more communication skills so I think if we could tweak it a little bit that might help Um, and then what I would do is I would do what you have been doing for the last few days which is leaving him for a little while going in laying him down but I'd make sure that that was only a quick in and resettle, not a long in and resettle. And I would leave him a bit longer because sometimes when this older group, it's almost like game, playing a game of peekaboo. You keep turning up every few minutes and they're confused. So if you say left him for two or three minutes and then you go in, you just lay him down, time for sleep is about as long as I would be in there and then I'd be out. But I'd leave him a little bit longer. 
because they're big. They, they can walk around and around that cot, so they need a bit more time to understand, okay, now I need to sit down, now I need to find my bunny, now I need to lay down. So if we go in too frequently, it's almost more difficult than it is if we weren't in there or we were completely in there all the time. So increase those increments, leaving him to self-settle a little bit longer before you go down, and I'm sure you'll get some success with it. Carla on Facebook Live says, Hi, Chris. I co-sleep with my little girl. She's nearly three and is slowly becoming interested in her own room and bed, and I have been starting to move her across slowly into this transition. I guess it takes time for anyone, especially toddlers, to get used to sleeping on their own. Do you think I'm doing the right thing? Yeah, I think you're doing the great thing because you're picking up on her cues. She's obviously communicating about a big girl bed or a bed. But what you could do is maybe get her comfortable with a bed in your room, like the mattress off her bed in your room, and get her really comfortable with that, then move her into her room. Um, She might need a bit more reassurance um, once you get her into her room, such as a nightlight in the hallway, reassuring her she can come and get you if she needs you. Um, But you might want to start in your bedroom on the mattress and setting up all your bedtime cues in a place that feels familiar and then transfer to her room. But I think you're doing the right thing because you're you're recognising that she's ready for it, which is the main point. So keep going. You're doing a good job. Lily says, hi, Helpline team. My question is about my 22-month-old waking at night. He wakes up and wants to play. For the past few months, it has become quite normal for him to wake around 2 or 2.30 a.m. and stay awake for around an hour. At first, it wasn't a big deal. He would call out to us, we're in the next room. But if we didn't answer, he would simply chill in his cot, singing and chattering away to himself before self-settling back to sleep about an hour later. However, for the past month, after this time of talking and singing to himself, he's been waking fully up and crying out for us until we come in to him. Then he won't settle back to sleep unless we bring him into our bed. If we ignore him, him, it turns into a full-blown middle-of-the-night tantrum, which makes resettling him even harder for us all. When he's in our bed, he tosses and turns, talks to us, twiddles and pulls my hair, kicks his dad in the back for a while before settling down to sleep. It's becoming very disruptive to everyone's sleep, and my husband and I aren't sure what to do to get him back to his peaceful self-settling. Do you have any tips? Some extra info. He is fully weaned overnight and has a small amount of water in a bottle, which he feeds to himself some nights. Other nights he ignores it. His bedtime is 7 p.m. and he usually settles well to bed at that time. Uh, He's 22 months. So I think the little piece of information we haven't got is how much sleep he has in the day. So for his age, I would be putting him down at 12.30 and getting him up at 2 and putting him down at 7.30, and that might decrease his energy level when he does wake because it is common for them to wake and chatter like you said that he does but put himself back to sleep. So that's not unusual, but I think he's going to bed a bit early without knowing how much sleep he has in the day, and therefore when he wakes up he has a lot of energy to, you know, talk, call you back in, the energy until you come in, and taking longer and longer to go back to sleep. So in this case, I would check what he's doing in the day. Don't let him oversleep. Put him down at 7.30, and then I think he'll go back to chatter um, and putting himself to sleep. And again, like the previous um, question with the 21-month-old, 
is if you then need to do some settling with him is to leave him in increments that are getting bigger and then going in and very quickly, only staying in there very quickly and back out again. And I'm sure his self-settling ability will come back. All right, we have a question here from Amy on the Facebook Live. She says, hi, Chris, I just heard your advice about not pooing. I am in a similar boat. My five-year-old won't poo on the toilet. He only wants a nappy and gets really upset and stressed when I try to get him on the toilet. We have tried everything we can think of, potty, rewards, talking about it, etc. He's off to school next year, so we are getting desperate. Do you have any additional advice for a five-year-old? I think I'd take the nappy away with a five-year-old. If you've, if you've tried everything, including, so I'd reset like that we spoke about with the previous question. So I'd get him back into, and I'd have a conversation. He's a five-year-old. I'd say, okay, mummy and daddy are going to try and help you with this. Um, but I think I would do the stool softener, okay, which is what they did before with their previous girl with colloxal, something like that. I'd do regular sitting on the toilet. Um, and then I would try something that might work for him, and you'd have to go slowly with this, where I put 10 nappies beside his bed, and I say, when those nappies are gone, we've got no more nappies. So we're not doing nappies after that. And then see how he goes. Now, obviously, on that first day, he might he might need to stay close to home. He might have an accident, and we're just going to gently help him through that. And we're going to see what happens when we've actually taken the safety net away from him. So, and I would talk to him about that. I, before I even started it, I'd say, okay, you can have one episode of Paw Patrol three times a day, sitting on the toilet, I will sit with you. They need to sit for five minutes. So a quick on and off is not going to work. And I'd stop the bribery. We use bribery and corruption a lot with children, thinking that it'll give us the easy answer. But literally, if he did even a part poop in the toilet, I would just be praising him and I think you'll find it will work much better, okay, and encourage him. And the hard thing is not to shame him. So don't say things like, well, your best friend Tommy can go to the toilet, why can't you? Because he could have difficulty with this. It's going to take time. But I think I'd try this last step. So regulation on the potty, like we said with the last question, then I would give encouragement, then put the 10 nappies on um, his bedside table. He sees them going down and then we're going to use encouragement and see if that works in order to get him onto the toilet. Is it ever a case with these things, Chris, that they should, um, that it, it might be something more than just the usual stuff you find in that age group? I think, training? I think if there's never been any... Um, any time where he's been able to do a poo on the toilet, as well as him not recognising at all that he has a dirty nappy or needs the nappy, then I'd say there's a good reason to go and speak to your GP because he has no recognition of what's going on. But the fact that he says, I need a nappy to do a poo, actually does give us the idea that he's well aware of what his body's doing and he's able in maturity to do that. He just doesn't, and lots of kids don't like sitting on the toilet. They have this fear of it. So by sitting on the potty, it's not, it's not that height and it feels more like if they were doing a poop in the nappy, like it's quite close to their body. And I think once you can with these kids, once they get the right, once they do it right once and they get praise, 
it then swings and they start to change it all around. So I'd try that first before, but I don't think it's something as in a physiological reason why he can't do it. I think it's it's somewhere in that stumbling block about how it feels or what it makes him feel like. Um, and some, some children are just lazy. But the fact that he takes himself to the toilet to do a wee means he does have all of those steps in place. It's just something blocking about doing the poop, and that's really common. Mm. Well, good luck with that. We have a question from Daya. She says, hi, Chris, I'd love any advice you might have for moving my seven-month-old into his cot. We've had him in a bassinet in our room up till now, but it's definitely time to switch to the cot to the cot as he's getting way too big for the bassinet and also is more active with getting out of his swaddle and grabbing at the rails. And I'm worried he may get himself stuck in a dangerous position. However, he absolutely hates the cot. We've been trying to gently introduce him to it at nap times and bedtimes without forcing the issue too much. He cries and cries when placed in there, even when swaddled tightly as usual. He just kicks the swaddle off and wails till we pick him up and go back to the bassinet. The one thing that worked was putting the bassinet cradle inside the cot, but that's obviously not going to work in the long term. I think he just hates having so much space around him. But what do we do? We need help. I think this one I just rip the Band-Aid off and put him in the cot and deal with it for a day or two and he'll be fine. But the one thing you could do is because he's in a cradle and he's used to that space being closer, I would put him closer to the railing of the cot. So he sort of feels a little bit like the bassinet. So I'd sort of tuck him down in the corner. So if you think of a cot, I'd put his feet down to the bottom of the cot because he can obviously feel the bottom of the bassinet, at the bottom of the cradle, and put him over to the corner and let him get used to the space slowly. But I'd literally just put him in the cot. I'd also take him out of his swaddle. I'd just put him in a sleeping bag. I'd put him in... And then over two, three days, he'll get you used to that space. I think the more you go backwards and forwards, the difficult, more difficult it is for him. But as you said, it's also becoming dangerous because he's rolling and moving in that, bass, in that um, cradle. So I'd go for it. I'd rip the Band-Aid off, but I'd tuck him in close to the corner, to the bottom of the cot, so it feels like there's two sides of the cradle around him. And I'd take his arms out of his swaddle and then I'd really help him settle in the cot. So padding, rocking, picking up, giving comfort and putting back down. And I'd say the first 24 hours are going to feel fairly hairy, um, but after that it should get better and better from that point. All right. Good <laughs> luck with that, Daya. Our next question and possibly our last by the time here is from Missy. She says, hi, Joe and Siobhan. I'm just wanting to check in on my 14-month-old eating and see if we're on the right track. She seems to be quite a fussy eater, but she's my only child and I'm not sure if this is normal. She will eat the things she likes, but that's a fairly short list. She's gone right off any purees and prefers finger foods. She eats carrots, peas and potato, watermelon and banana, porridge, and toast with the tiniest scraping of Vegemite, but not plain bread sandwiches. It must be toasted. Hey, that is true Australian style yeah. there. Missy, I think she should be congratulated for that. <laughs> and that's about it. Anything else, she refuses after one try and won't touch it again, even when I offer them again a week or so later. And she doesn't eat much at a time either. A few mouthfuls and she wants out of the high chair. 
I've taken to just offering her some food regularly throughout the day since she doesn't want to eat much at at one sitting. I feel like she's in and out of the high chair all day. She's still having two bottles, one for her midday nap and one at bedtime. Overnight, she'll have water in her bottle. She does use a sippy cup for water, but only wants milk in her bottle. I'm just wondering if all this is normal or should I be stopping the bottles and how can I get her to eat more fruits and veggies? I'm so tired of the waste when she won't eat things. Well, some of this problem is true to her age in that she's quite selective about what she is. But we know with little, you know, toddlers and starting off independent eating with their hands that you have to be consistent, you know. So whether she didn't like it yesterday and she'll engage with it today are two different things. So, you know, you are going to waste a little bit of food with eating over the next 18 months. So try and make the food things that you're eating that you have prepared for yourself. 14-month-olds usually have one sleep, two bottles and three good meals in the day and probably just one snack. So it depends when you're putting her down, but normally we give her a bottle in the morning and at night and in between she'd have food and that might make her eat a little bit more because she hasn't got a bottle in the day that fills her up. So I give her a bottle in the morning. About an hour later, I give her um, breakfast, things like you can make little healthy pancakes, like those little banana pancakes that she can pick up on her own. She could have toast and fresh fruit. She could probably even have a cereal if you're eating a cereal. So they like to mimic eating. So sitting down with them also helps. Um, Then she'll have her lunch before she goes to bed, uh, depending on what time you put her down to bed, but usually around 11.30-ish. So she'd have her lunch around 11 and that would be finger food. So it might be two cucumber sticks. It might be um, some berries. It might be some grated cheese, but only putting one thing down in front of her. So she's not engaging in the whole plate, just, um, you know, a piece of avocado, those types of things, maybe a finger of toast in amongst that. So I would probably be offering her about four different finger foods. And then in the when she gets up from her sleep, she might have a bit of fruit dinner around sort of that 5, 5.30 window. And I would start with a fed food because she's not quite able to feed herself. So the texture is usually like um, a shepherd's pie, sort of that sort of consistency. But at the same time, I might give her some steamed carrot sticks to chew on. This is about consistency and not falling back on the things you know she'll eat, but that they are part of the meals that she does eat. And giving that consistency, like fingers of chicken, fingers of lamb or fingers of steak, um, she, pasta they usually engage with this age, especially ravioli, depending on how much teething teeth she's got, corn on the cob. But it's a making sure that you only put her in the high chair when she's due for a feed. And I think in this case, if you offer the high chair too quickly with food, She just isn't learning to sit long enough to engage with the food. So breakfast, lunch, dinner and one snack and see how that goes. And remember to keep giving her variety. Just went to a talk on talk on food just last week. So Oh, there you go. Good timing. Good timing for the question. Um, I am going to squeeze one more in. 
Uh, sure. It's from Deanna on our Facebook Live. She says, hi, Chris. Do you have any advice on how to stop my preschooler and toddler fighting? They are five-year-old and, th- and three-year-old boys or how, <laughs> or how <laughs> I get them to use their inside voices. I'm very curious to hear this answer, Chris. How do you get them to stop fighting? I think if they're fighting a lot, you need to work out why they're fighting a lot. You know, so I would think that three and five-year-old boys do fight and because they're rough and tumble. So some of it is about getting that aggressive behaviour out by putting each other in a headlock and rolling around on the floor. Now, if they were rolling around and, and no one's really screaming in dire, I let them sort that, itself, that out themselves. If they're fighting over one particular thing, that's a lot harder and I need to assess the situation So, for instance, if your five-year-old is quietly playing with Lego and your three-year-old comes up and just rips the Lego out or throws it across the room, let's think of creating a space where that five-year-old can go with their Lego that the three-year-old cannot get into. So maybe even putting the baby gate on the five-year-old's bedroom, putting his Lego in the bedroom and saying, this is your space to play with Lego. So boys do are very physical. So you've got to work out what is fighting and what is just boys being physical. And that's the second part of it. The second part of it is they do need to be physical. So getting them out, getting them out for a run, kicking the ball, all of those things are going to help. And the last thing I would do if it's a lot of infighting between both of them is I'd start to sit down and play games with them. So getting really simple games and playing and you're sort of mediating how they can play together. So something like the hungry little hippo that everyone can play and and it's turn-taking and that turn-taking can really help as well. So sometimes you have to step in and mediate it for them and you have to be the person who says, now it's your turn and now it's your turn. Um, And if all else fails, I do blanketing discipline where they both get into trouble because you're not quite sure who started what. So both of you can go and sit and, and think about it for a few minutes. So hopefully that might help. And if it helps at all, Deanna, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and they have been fighting since they could talk, a boy and a girl, but it is one of my biggest frustrations, but. Yeah, yeah, it is part of, part of living together, isn't it? Yeah, a hundred, yes, definitely is. Well, look, we've run out of time. We've in fact gone over a bit to answer that last question. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us. That's a pleasure. I'll see you soon. See you soon. And thank you, everyone, who asked their questions. Um, Don't forget that you can come and join us again next week at the same time to ask questions again, or you can email us at helpline at theparentbrown.com.au. And if you'd like some more in-depth advice, I highly recommend you try out Babyology's Parent School. Chris Minogue is one of our many experts. And when you go there, you can book online, have a one-on-one consult, so you're talking and you sort of teasing it out together yeah, and makes it a much uh, more easier process for the expert like Chris to work out what's right for you and your family. So it works out well. Um, So you can do that. I'll be back next week. Chris, thanks again for your time. Pleasure. See you you soon. Bye-bye. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.